When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtzcast. Cole Pedham here as always and of course we're here to talk all things Aston Football Club with a 2-0 away win at Goodison Park on Saturday of course you're hearing this brain early on the Monday so hopefully um, you're having a good week you enjoyed your weekend with a villa win and all went to plan that way but of course it's not just me because really who wants to listen to just me talk to myself about villa if I did that I don't know how many people would actually tune in But regardless of that, we do have Mr. Tom Nightingale back under the hot seat. I finally convinced him to talk to me again after a little bit of hiatus. And we do have a returning guest that hasn't been on for a little bit. I think we figured out it's almost been a year, maybe last April, and that being Mr. Frankie McGuire himself. So Frankie, I'll come to you first. How's it going with you? Yeah, all good. Thank you. Uh, And thank you very much for having me back on. Uh, Regular listener of the Holtcast. So it's always nice to come on and just chat with uh, fellow Villa fans and get a sense of how we're we're getting on, really. Um, on our podcast, it's been recent joy of being very delighted with Unai Emery being here and how much better it is than the Steven Gerrard era. And then three losses in a row, we were kind of back to being upset again. But the Everton win, um, that uh, that was a very welcome victory. Absolutely. And of course, that's the all Villa, Villa, no filler podcast. Sometimes I try to say that really quickly and I screw myself <laughs> yeah. up all the time. But regardless, it's <laughs> yeah. a class name. I, I really enjoyed your preview you did uh, with the Everton uh, journalist from The Athletic. His name escapes me. But regardless of that, it was really well thought out, and really well done. Um, so you. I want to give you Thank kudos you. on that. But let's get to Mr. Tom Nightingale. Tom, you've been so busy. So how the heck are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing very well, thank you. I cheekily decided to sit out. My my absence has coincided nicely with Villa's downturn in form, and then we win, and I'm a fair weather fan, you see. Back again, back again after a win. Um, no, yeah, good. What a great way, like, just a great way to set up your weekend, isn't it? Go to uh, Everton or one of those teams. I don't really hold animosity towards them, but I don't half love winning particularly at Goodison it's three years and three years on the trot now that we've beaten them on their own on their own Mm. turf um and I mean it's one of those like I love those away wins where um I rewatched the highlights just before you know just before we recorded now and it's one of those where there have been times over the last few years countless times where we'd have lost that game we'd have found a way to be the ones to concede and break the game open. Um, but now I do feel like we're getting to a point. I know we had a, a rough time with the last three games, but I feel like we're finally getting to a point now where we have a lot of those games where it turns out that we, we you know, we're the ones who get the win. Um, after so many years, of, it feels like we've been on the receiving end of of the losses in those games. So yeah, just great. Just loving away win, man. What a way to start the weekend. Exactly. It's uh, I think the best way you could maybe put it is it wasn't pretty, but it was darn certainly effective. And I think that's the best way that I can at least think of it. Um, I mean, of course, we'll, we'll break it down a little bit more, but most notably, of course, the goal scorers yesterday, Mr. Five and Five, Ollie Walken scoring from a penalty, John McGinn uh, drawing the penalty on that one in the 63rd minute. Um, to be honest, it felt like forever for him to actually between the foul and actually taking that penalty. But regardless, um, apparently he knew where he was going to put it as soon as the penalty happened. And I'm going to go with that because he's bringing with confidence and we'll talk about him in a little bit as well. But uh, it's just brilliant to see a, a Villa striker have a, a little new record um, since what? I think it was like the 80s or something like that. It was 85. I think I was reading earlier on. I could be wrong, but regardless of that, it's brilliant to see. And of course, Emmy Buendia from Argentina. The only thing he does is score against Everton. I wish I could have a better rhyme there, but that's as good as you're getting from me. A John McGinn assist as well. Brilliant to see John McGinn do as well as he's doing lately. Again, feels like him and Watkins are thriving um, under Unai Emery, and so is Buendia as of late too. So long may that continue. And Frankie, I'll throw this your way first. Let's talk about Ollie Watkins first. I mean, 
we could technically break the game down half by half, but let's be honest, the first half was kind of even going through the live text notes on the BBC website and other websites, tons of fouls, not a crazy amount happened. It was a bit of a slog fest and kind of to see who was going to maybe dominate in some ways, but Back to Ollie Watkins, I mean, this is the best we've really seen him since the early days, isn't it? Oh, completely. Um, this may be even the best we've ever seen him. You know, five and five. I think if you were to say which players have improved the most since uh, Uno Emery came in, to me personally, I think it's Ollie Watkins and John McGinn. And I think both of them have been liberated from um, some management that maybe misused their talents. Um, play them in positions or in roles that didn't necessarily suit them. Um, I think the Danny Ings signing in retrospect, uh, I think that probably sent a message to Ollie Watkins that are you the number one man? Did it suit him? You know, can he play together with Danny Ings? I just think it was something that distracted us for an entire year. And I think that now Ollie Watkins to me looks quite liberated by being told, no, you are the main man. You scored 14 goals in your first season. You got the double figures last season. Why can't you go and get, you know, double figures again this season? And um, I think that under Emery, uh, Watkins, obviously he's been, he's been basically told by Emery, considering the fact that he always starts, that you are my man and you're the guy who you put in the work ethic, you run around, and then on top of that, you get the goals. But also I think what's really improved with Watkins, particularly since uh, Emery came in, is that his hold at play has improved um, quite substantially. And I think you saw that against Everton. Because if you think about it, you know, um, Ollie Watkins has been in the England squad before and he's scored for England. And ultimately, I think kind of like Emi Buendia with Argentina, Ollie Watkins has to aim to get into the international setup because that's what I think his skill level is capable of. But you would say, why is he not a regular squad player for England? And you would probably say, well, sometimes... His hold at play can be a bit erratic or his finishing can be a bit all over the place at times. At the moment, it looks like he's solved his finishing issues and he's scoring more regularly, looks more confident and happy about that. And I think Danny Ings going probably helped him in that regard. But also his hold at play against Everton, you're playing against Connor Code and you're playing against James Tarkovsky, two physical units. And to be quite frank, who wants to play against them? You know, if they were a WWE tag team, they'd be two of the biggest bullies going, wouldn't they? They'd be two proper villains getting booed by the crowd. Um, but Ollie Watkins, you know, yesterday he stood up to it because he's a physically stronger player than you would probably give him credit for, actually. Stood up to it. And you could see the evidence for it where, um, let's say, the second goal, Buendia's goal, the ball came into his feet and it was a lovely layoff to John McGinn. John McGinn then takes the ball forward, passes it to Buendia, who did the rest, you know. So I just think the signs from Ollie Watkins that he's really, really improved his all-round game under Unai Emery, whether that's because Emery's now said, you're my main man, and he's got that confidence factor going on, whether it's partly Emery's sort of coached him. It could be a combination of factors. But certainly now with five goals in five, the first, I, I was shocked to realise this, that he's the first Villa player to have done this. I, I would have thought in my head, did Dwight York do this in the 90s? Dean Saunders, Dalian Atkinson. But no, um, Ollie Watkins has, you know, got five and five. One of the first that I'm aware of who's done it for Villa. And um, uh, it's just very exciting to see him be at the level he's at. I think he's good for Villa. I wouldn't, I'd, I wouldn't bet against him scoring against Palace next week as well. And I think that for himself, he has to say, I can be Villa's main man up front. And on top of that, I now have to play myself into the England setup. And I think he's well on his way to doing that with how he's playing for Villa at the moment. Yeah, 100%. To be honest, I was shocked to see that it's been that long. I would have just assumed even if maybe the last decade Benteke may have done it or something with the yeah, way he was scoring exactly. when he first came in. But regardless of that, it's a good stat. And I mean, his confidence must be at an all-time high. And that's really what we need right now. And I think the other thing too, and like a lot of people have kind of mentioned it, we're slowly seeing who's going to improve and can work under Unai Emery's system and like we said Ollie Watkins is has to be at one of the 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 top ends of of that list and it's nice to see because I don't know how long it's really been in terms of at least my Villa fandom I can think of like Benteke but aside from that I mean what other striker could you really think of oh they were clinical you could rely on them when it mattered most and we're finally starting to see that Tom but 
in regards to his game, do you think in a way, I mean, I, I think a lot of people, and again, I, I can fall victim to this too. It's, I think we just think of footballers as, okay, you have to score. That's all your life is. You do nothing else. Of course we know he's had a, he, he's a young father and all this, and you never know personal things can affect how you're performing on the pitch. But back to his game more so, Tom, it, it's almost like he's just kind of simplified things, isn't it? He's thinking. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with Frankie completely about the like, the hold-up play side of it. Because um, it is one of his areas that I'd have said maybe 12, 18 months ago, that's something that might hold us back in our quest to become the kind of team that we want to be, knocking on the door of Europe or whatever. Like, I, I've always liked Ollie Watkins, but he was certainly rough around on the edges and still until relatively recently i think um but he just looks you know we've i think we've said a lot on this podcast over the last i don't know couple of years or whatever the like ollie watkins is a real example of a confidence player but mm. even confidence players work in different ways it's really interesting the point about ings because you know on the flip side at the time when you know when we dropped the ings when perslow dropped the ings bomb last summer and we were sort of all excited to have a proven goal scorer and trying to work out how it was going to work and sort of, I think, trying to convince ourselves that it was going to work. Um, a lot of the argument thrown around was having Ings around will be really good for Watkins because he's a more, you know, he's an older and more experienced striker. It will put, give Watkins a bit of a kick up the arse during his, because he was, you know, he used to, he used to have quite a few scoreless streaks, didn't he? There was one, I think he went something like 10 or 11 games um in the last couple of years without scoring so there was that that argument that ings being around would challenge him in a positive way and raise his game but it's interesting because with hindsight already I, i i don't i'm not sure that's ever how it worked out at all right i think in the end what we've seen is that watkins is the kind of player who can really thrive on being the main man pretty much the only man like it's good that we've got john duran who's already looking like a real live wire. So we know that we've got this good raw talent, but very talented, seems very talented backup option. But I think what we're seeing is the, we're reaping the reward of treating Ollie Watkins with the kind of love that he deserves. And I think that a guy like him needs to really thrive. And, you know, it's plain to see already, it was plain to see really that like under Gerard, I don't think that kind of warmth and, metaphorically or physically putting your arm around a player and taking care of them and that sort of thing that to be quite honest that kind of environment just didn't seem to exist at Villa for a year or so under Gerard. I really feel like it's back look at we talked to Frankie's mentioned him already look at McGinn like McGinn I thought still seeing people slate McGinn on social media because of course yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was excellent all all yeah. game like not even just the fact that he won the penalty he assisted the second goal he was, he was absolutely everywhere in the way that the McGinn that we know and love is like a fundamental part of his game, right? Is that he's a little terrier that you can't get away from. It's like, it's back. And I think these players, Watkins and McGinn, you can kind of call them, lump them in with sort of like Tyrone Mings and those kind of players there. They're the old guard now because, you know, football changes so quickly. We've got these players we've had for three years or ever four years. They're the old guard of Villa now. And it's just great to see that for all the talk about needing to spend money in January, needing to spend money in the summer. We've got the manager that we hoped we were getting in Unai Emery, the guy who can come in and he can raise the level of the players who are already there. Like, I know you guys will remember this from social media because it wasn't very long ago. John McGinn was being labelled a championship standard player by some of our fans a few months ago. Ollie Watkins wasn't good enough for a mid-table Premier League club a a few months ago. Amazing what a, what a good manager does, isn't it? Like, and that talent's been there, right in front of our eyes all along. And then there's been a lot of misdiagnosis done with players like Ollie Watkins amongst the fan base. Because I truly think I, I remember saying this about six to twelve months ago. I think um, for where Villa are in the league, mid table mid table club, knocking on the door of Europe is going to be difficult. We're we're definitely a solidly mid table club. Show me the better striker who's available for Villa than Ollie Watkins, because you'll be looking. For- for a long time absolutely and i think the thing too and like of course this is a hindsight thing and a what if perspective but if watkins doesn't score five and five or maybe it's only one in five or zero and five and then you have danny ing score two yesterday you're good you'd have a lot of fans especially online asking a lot of questions so 
I think there it, it's fair enough to put that in perspective. And the best thing that I love about McGinn is he's it, it's funny when you play players and roles that they succeed in the most. And I, I feel like it's so obvious to say that, but it's also true. The other thing is kind of an off the the cuff kind of thing. I'm just thinking about do I do you guys know if that thing is true where Duran gave a, a fan a what his watch or something that I saw the other day in this in the stands. Not Any clues all. on that? Uh, okay. I, I'd not seen this. I wish right. he gave it to me. It's probably worth quite a bit. So. Yeah. <laughs> all I can say is I love how he literally every tweet is about Ollie Watkins from Duran's account with like hard eyes and things like that. I don't know if you guys have seen that as well. It seems <laughs> yeah, like that's a little brotherhood. Yeah, it just and that's great. It, it, and that's great, isn't good. it? Like, if we're already yeah. at the point where Watkins, I've lost track now. How old is Ollie Watkins now? Like twenty six, six? seven, yeah, ish. So, yeah. And it's great. It's another side of his game. You talk about Duran. I think it's something. We, obviously, Duran's only been around for a few weeks already, but I think we'll see that further develop. That now we're at a point where Ollie Watkins can be the maybe not the veteran striker, but can be the senior striker in a partnership. Whether it's an on-field partnership or a training ground partnership, like he's helping to improve Duran's game, that kind of stuff. We're now at a point where I think Watkins is comfortable and confident enough in himself and in the role he plays in Villa starting eleven that he can now start to be this kind of mentor figure who even 18 months ago or something, a lot of fans were saying that, you know, we were hoping that Ings could be for Watkins. Where I think that it's it's a real testament, I think, to not only the guy's on-field ability, but his mentality, right, and his character. Yeah, 100%. And I, the one player I do want to kind of bring up next, and I think it's important to do so because, like I said, Emi Buendia just loves playing Everton, and it, it's clear to see. I don't I don't know what it is. It just seems <laughs> like that that turn, uh, I, I, that that that's illegal. Like, that's not, that's PG, I don't know, a rated <laughs> He is what me. with what with his header the what was that last year the near yes. post, the near post header, header from the corner he's getting his yeah. own little highlight reel isn't he for just a Goodison <laughs> Park highlight reel as as uh, I can't remember the commentator said he leapt like a salmon that's all I'll say um, <laughs> but no it, it, it's brilliant to see and it just you can tell I think the thing with Emmy is you can tell when he's feeling it and when he has that freedom and confidence to um, take things on himself. And when he can succeed in doing so, I mean, really, at the end of the day, I think Frankie, he's another one that uh, is really thriving under Unai Emery and in and, and small spurts. But nonetheless, it is great to see, isn't it? Yeah, completely. And I get, you know, I mentioned how uh, Ollie Watkins has to aim for the England team. And I think that Emmy Buendia has the natural raw ability to play for the Argentina setup. Now, obviously, Argentina won the World Cup. They're the best international side in the world. They have the greatest player possibly of all time in Lionel Messi. But, um, you know, Emi Buendia himself, what he doesn't quite have that those other Argentina attackers have, it's not the raw ability, it's the consistency. And I think that all of those attackers play for the top sides in the world and play for Argentina because they're consistent. And I think if you were to look at Emi Buendia and say, how, how could he be better? You would say, just be a bit more consistent. Because I think for Villa, you know, yesterday when he came on as these kind of impacts, of, oh, like he did, at, when we played Everton at Villa Park earlier this season and came on as an impact sub. He changed the game on both occasions, really. And in a way, it's reflective, I think, of Unai Emery's game plan in the sense we kind of allowed Everton to kind of press us. You know, we like to play it out from the back. Everton were going to physically exert themselves and use up a lot of energy trying to put us under pressure. And it nearly paid off for them. You know, Emi Martinez had to make a great save off Anana of in the first half. But in the second half, eventually... The, that energy does run a bit lower and those gaps start to open. And so Emi Buendia coming on, when those gaps are open, he's the perfect player to bring on really for that situation, I think. And uh, he did exactly what he had to do. He, uh, you know, the first, the, the penalty, I think it was his touch off to McGinn. And then the second goal, sort of just taking it around, selling, sending three Everton defenders to the, to Anfield, you know, to the opposite end of uh, Stanley Park, wherever it is. Uh, and then, Great hit as well. You know, Jordan Pitford's running out of here and you whack it straight past him on your week of foot. It's, it's a, it was a great finish. And, um, you know, I think uh, I think it's his second goal, I want to say, under Emery. He got one against Tottenham away as well. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's, uh, again, he's another player who you think, I sometimes wonder with, with Buendia, if he played for like, let's imagine like a Real Madrid, right? A team that is just 
largely, whoever they play, they're probably going to have more possession. Would you kind of see how good he really is? And whether sometimes a Villa, because we have to play on this the counter-attack, sometimes he's put under pressure in a way he wouldn't be at a team like Real. So sometimes he'll get the ball and he'll try and do a bit of an ambitious pass that another player's not on the wavelength or he plays it kind of in the wrong position and so we give it away. And to be honest, when he first came on against Everton yesterday, there were occasions where within the first five minutes he actually did do that. He gave the ball away couple of occasions and I think that's where you could be critical of him and say it kind of puts us under a bit of pressure but ultimately it balances out with what he creates and you kind of accept that with a player who he is but I think yeah I think with Buendia as with Watkins I think if he could just get get that consistency which I think he's starting to show a little bit more now under Unai Emery he has every chance of not only just raising Villa standards and becoming a much more integral player for Aston Villa, but also eventually making his way into, you know, the Argentina setup in the way that I think Ollie Watkins potentially could do with England. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, though, with Buendia too, of course. I mean, you look at the championship season with Norwich when they got promoted. I mean, he basically ran that league with Pookie. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, fair enough, to be honest. Those two in the championship any season would do it. I think really with him, and I mean, of course, he had that very brief stint. I think, I can't remember if it was the first or second stint when Norwich came up initially, and they have that kind of little bit of a balance every time they come up. And he did very well at the start of the season. Maybe it was the first time. And then it just, like the whole team, it just kind of dipped, and they couldn't find their consistency whatsoever. I think for me is if Buendia can even find even a quarter more amount in terms of consistency, I think that makes yeah. a massive effort. And I, totally I think agree. I think the other thing too, and it is a dangerous kind of thing to say with consistency, because then people think, well, they should be scoring or assisting or doing this every game. But if he be, can become, I don't know, get a, a goal or, or an assist really, I don't know, a one in five or every two in five games, something just to be that a little bit more consistent, I think on the score sheet, I think that makes all the difference because I can forgive the errors leading up to creating chances. Cause let's be realistic. We, we love the functional players that they, they do their jobs. They make it simple and people will say, well, you don't notice the little things they do fair enough, but you need those flair players to, well, one, make it exciting and two, to make that real impact. And let's be honest with the money paid for Buendia. We do have to see that as well. Don't we Tom? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, like for, for reference, like he has that, 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 that consistency and that output thing. I genuinely think that we can see it sooner rather than later. I mean, like I was just looking up cause I couldn't remember either how many goals he scored, but he's got, he scored three goals in his last eight games scored, mm. scored against Leeds as well. So, I mean, if you're, mm. it's, it's only a small sample size, obviously that, that, that those past, those past eight games, but he's one of the, while it's nice to see players like McGinn, and I mean Mings has always been or Mings has always been excellent. But like while it's nice to see the sort of steady Eddie players um having their game raised by Emery coming in compared to what came before, um there are a few players, you know, there are one or two aren't there who you everyone's really excited about, I think, their potential growth under Emery. And from like the main one for me is Brendier. I think he's so talented. Like I think he's got bags of natural ability. Um, and it's like you say, really, when you're chanced, it's interesting because there's talking about Cole, what you said about not being, not feeling too down about when players are trying to create chances, it doesn't always come off. Like it strikes me that, um, there's a parallel to be drawn with like Leon Bailey, very different players, but it's the same thing, right? Like you don't, you don't want to get on their back too much because mm-hmm. these are your chief creators. Like if, of of course not everything's going to come off. It's the same way that talking about the fact that Ollie Watkins misses some chances. Generally, I think that conversation gets way, way overplayed because of course he misses chances. Like he's the pretty much the striker. Um, However many percent, 50% more than probably of all chances we create fall to him. It's going to miss more than he scores because if you don't miss more than you score, you play for an elite team because there's only a handful of those guys in the world, right? And I think it's the same with chance creation. Like, not everything can come off by a long stretch, but what I love about Buendia is it's not just... He creates he creates chances in so many different ways 
I, I feel like whether it's getting the ball down at his feet, head down, beating a defender like he did for his goal, whether it's head up and knowing where your teammate's going to move like he did for the first goal for the penalty. That was, I think, I think I'm right in saying that was literally his first touch on the pitch, that little layoff from McGinn. And instinctively comes straight into the game. No, like obviously it's been warming up on the sidelines, but it's coming in cold basically to this game, locked at nil-nil away from home. And immediately has the ability, the vision, the foresight to create this chance with his very first touch. Um, thought he took his goal brilliantly. And it's like, it's what I love about him is I feel like he's a real, he can be a real attacking all-rounder in terms of creative player. Um I genuinely think he can be first what I think we were all kidding ourselves and really hoping that Coutinho could and would be when Coutinho came in. Mm-hmm. That guy who can create moments of magic out of nowhere, who can score goals, who can set up goals, who can unlock defences with one pass, all that sort of stuff. I see all of those things in Buendia's Arsenal. And I think we're seeing them come out a bit more, you know, week almost week by week um, under Emery. I really can't wait to see where he goes. Um, it's probably one of my favorite. I'm slightly biased, I think, because I think it's probably one of my favorite play- Villa players, honestly, of the last few years. Um, I love his approach to the game. Love his skill set. Long may it continue, man. Three goals three goals in eight games, changing games, whether he starts, whether he comes off the bench. It's exactly the kind of guy you want around, right? It's kind of interesting, Tom, what you mentioned about Leon Bailey, because at first I thought, oh, I, I kind of want to give him a hard time. At the same time, I've seen a lot of tweets over the last few games about people giving him a hard time. I, I, again, I, he's the, the perfect example of a winger. He's massively, consistently inconsistent. But then you also think, too, and I, I think it's important to context with consistency as well. And we do have to remember with him, I, I want to protect him a little bit in this scenario because he did hit the woodwork against Arsenal that could have went in. We could have won that game or at least drawn it from that. You're taking the points off what I probably think realistically have probably the best chance to be the champions at this point And maybe will, who knows um, that changes the context massively, even if he doesn't score for the next five for me. So I, I think it's small moments that we we forget about and we have to be very careful kind of when we look at the grander scale of things, but regardless of that, Frankie, I want to get your thoughts on the substitutions as a whole. We don't have to go really through all of them, but Hmm. I mean, when's the last time for you where you felt like, okay, Villa are going to make, first of all, timely subs that people are happy with making at a decent time. It's not the 80th minute or later. And you know what? These are actually potentially going to change a game because that's exactly what happened yesterday. Isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we refer back to the Gerard era. And to be honest, even Sir Dean, you know, Dean Smith. Uh, there, there were occasions where you'd watch games under uh, under Smith as well, particularly Gerard, though, where you were just kind of like the substitution. Could it have come ten minutes ago? Maybe. Um, you know, uh, it, it, it just. It just never quite felt like it was a pro- there was a proactive approach under recent management. I thought with substitutions, whereas under Emery, in lots of games recently, he's not been afraid to change it quickly at half time. He's brought players on straight away if it's not working, particularly in our home games where we've been a bit more inconsistent. Had a few bad first halves recently, and he's not been afraid to change it up too quickly. And yesterday, you know, the like I said, you know, the game plan it kind of worked perfectly for him where. Waited for the to the right time, you know, 65, 70 minute mark. Everton midfield, physically strong, stronger than ours. You know, they just were, but um, physically exerted themselves to the point where they were slightly more tired. Those gaps start to open and Emi Buendia is a perfect player to bring on. But also, you know, I, I thought Luca Dean wasn't great. Uh, I think I'm not sure he looked comfortable with the kind of, um, ball retention that we're trying to do now at the back and playing it out from the back. There were occasions where I thought he gave it away a little bit sloppily, um, although he did put in a great ball to Ollie Watkins, who, you know, when he headed it and Jordan Pickford pulled off a brilliant save. Um, but I do wonder, has the Moreno signing slightly unsettled him or or what is it? But um, I think yesterday it felt to me like it got to the point where you felt um, if you were to take two players off right now, Leon Bailey and Dean are the two to do. And that's who Unai Emery exactly did straight away. 
um, or sort of kind of around the right time, basically. And ultimately, it did change the game. And um, to see a manager do that so proactively and as consistently as Emery's done it at Villa, is it's just such a breath of fresh air, isn't it? You know, and to see it pay off as well, like it did yesterday, it's 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 pretty um, it's nice to see. I would say. It's, I know, Frankie, you and I, We've uh, when I came on All Villa, No Filler recently, we had a real Emery love-in, didn't we, Professor? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's just, <laughs> in all, no matter, even like kind of no matter the result, we've had a bad patch the last three games. Mm. I can't really remember genuinely a time where Villa losing three games in a row and conceding a, a bunch of goals while doing it. I can't yeah. remember the last time I was less concerned about that than I was Absolutely. in this stretch. Totally I agree. I, I, I wasn't really bothered, to be honest. Mm. And part of that is that I don't really think we've got a huge amount to play for this season. Like, It's not like it's going to cost us in the European race because you're, you're kind of inventing a European race if you think that we're qualified, you know, we're going to qualify for Europe, I think. Um, so that's part of it. It helps when there's no real pressure. But also it struck me those games, like defensively, some of the goals we conceded were really bad, particularly the Leicester game. But I didn't yeah. really think we, we we were playing that badly. And it struck me as those are the kind of defeats that you're going to get a few of those sprinkled in when you're in the middle of such a big transition like we are. Completely. Um, and it's just unlucky that we had three of them in a row. You know, nobody would bat an eyelid if we'd have lost, even to Leicester, one, two in a row, lost to City, one, two in mm-hmm. a row, lost to Arsenal. Nobody would have batted an eyelid at all about those three defeats. It's just that they happened to come in a run. Um and I just wasn't really bothered and I was very confident even going into the Everton game, even with Sean Dyche and that they're on a bit of an upswing comparatively. I was very confident that Villa could go there and win the game. And, you know, I was confident that in the first half when we were going backwards and forwards. I was confident that 55, 60 minutes into the second half locked at nil-nil. You just believe that this Villa team can win games. Hmm. Um, and I think the thing is with Emery, talking about his substitutions, the way he sets his team up, that just the body language of the players and everything like said it a thousand times. I'll say it a thousand times more. Like we've got a manager who knows what he's doing. We have, we've punched above our weight in recruiting a manager already. It's clear that we've got a guy in charge who really knows what he's doing and is, is compared compared to what's come before, not just Gerard, but also Dean, as much as I love him, the long list of managers before Dean Smith compared to the last decade we've got a higher caliber of manager than we've even come close that we even could have hoped to a point really in the last decade. And I think we've seen the signs of that already. And so you've got to roll with the punches when they come, because you are going to lose games. If you're trying to teach a, if you're trying to defeat, trying to teach a defense to play out from the back, you're trying to teach proper attacking patterns, which were completely missing under Gerard. A couple of players are even playing not quite in full new positions, but I would argue that McGinn's position, for example, yesterday was very different to the sort of more shackled defensive side of him that we saw a lot under Gerard. So much new is going on at the moment. And my main thing, like, sounds very simplistic as a fan, but I think with social media and stuff, it's very easy to get A, down in the dumps about stuff, but also to overanalyze every last thing. Fact of the matter is Villa have not been playing badly. Villa are fun to watch again. Villa score in every single game we play. Now, every game we play, we score. Um, and we always look like we can create moments of magic and, and win games. And so if that's the if that's the reality we're seeing in front of us after flush track of how long it is under Emery, three months. But, we're, you know, with the World Cup, I've, I've lost track completely. But um, if we're seeing that after a few weeks, basically what is still a few weeks of actual game playing action, imagine where we can be even by the mid, you know, the midway point of next season. I know that like fans struggle for patience, but you've got to have it. The building blocks are all there. They're all in front of our eyes. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Well, regardless of Sean Dyche and the jacket that uh, John McGinn massively dislikes, um, I wanted to throw that in there. I've been thinking about that for the last five minutes. So there's my joke that maybe at least I find funny. I, I think, Frankie, it's fair to say conceding 11 in the last three, this one could have went badly given how Everton, of course, even with two wins on the bounce and Sean Dyche being 2-0 and as Everton boss, which given their strikers at the top right now and their situation is impressive in itself but with mm-hmm. old villa this would have been like an easy game to just slip up with but that clean sheet for me is the most massive thing out of this whole thing how do you feel about it oh completely it was very important to end that that sort of losing run in the sense i think that you know I, we could have very easily slipped back into the kind of villa mentality of like you know in recent years we've lost we've been on like four game losing streaks five game losing streaks and it would have been back to that kind of thing of like Oh, it's the same old Villa. But I think this insinuates this isn't same old Villa. This is a Villa team that had a really tough day out, you know, last week at Arsenal where we lost in the last minute, essentially, and we're able to bounce back away uh, like we did. And also, you know, as you say, with the defence, you know, we conceded quite a few goals. I think as frustrating as that was, I mean, there's there's, there's two ways of saying it, you know, like t- two of the three games were Man City and Arsenal. So we're playing the two top teams in the league. You kind of accept you're probably going to concede at some point. Could we have done conceded a fewer goals for sure? Um, but I think the way I I kind of am trying to justify in my head is that Villa are you know as Tom just said you know we're transitioning to a new style, and and I think Unai Emery voiced his irritation after the the Arsenal game where there were times where we resorted to just lumping it forward. We forgot the game plan essentially. And um, against uh, Everton, it felt like in the first half particularly, when I think from about the 20-minute mark right to halftime, Everton were putting us under a lot of pressure. And we were, you know, looking quite shaky playing it out from the back at times. There were a couple of, like, misplaced passes or just a little bit of, you know, if this was being played at home, I could already hear in my head the fans around me getting very panicked about it, which I think is probably important as a fan base that we get used to this because this is the way it's going to be. And so I think, you know, we conceded a bad goal against Leicester with when Bubakar Kamara got the ball, you know, from Emery. And I think it was Madison, I think, got onto him and scored. And same thing against Arsenal. You know, Conte got taken, the ball got taken off by Nketiah. He passed it on to Odegaard, who somehow missed a very easy chance. So we are definitely going to concede more goals like this this season. But I think it's, you know, ultimately, Emery might bring in some of the players who are more suited to that this summer. And it's also saying to the players, look, get used to it. This is the way it is. And I think that winning against Everton was quite important because firstly, it ends that losing streak. The clean sheet's important. Whilst I would say, you know, Everton really lacked Calvert-Lewin. I think he might have made a difference for them, but we take what we can get. And uh, yeah, so I I just think it um, ultimately it's very positive that we're not you know we've got rid of the losing streak we've got we've kept a clean sheet and ultimately it's something that we can build on for the next few games and um it gives us that sort of gap then from the sort of the the, the quagmire at the bottom of the table where everyone seems to be beating everybody and if Everton had beaten us they'd be on 24 points Villa would have been on 28 and suddenly we're we're sort of looking over our shoulder again aren't we we're like oh oh I don't know are we going to get dragged into it and we're not we don't have that now so it's more liberating to be like, we can still try and progress in Emery style rather than being like, do we just go back to basics and lump it forward and hope for 1-0 wins? So um, I think that was a that was actually quite a crucial win against Everton um, and uh, a good sign for, where, for, for Emery ball, essentially. I think that's it exactly as well, is that like with the, the fandom side of it is, we've seen it all before as Villa fans where we are, you do end up looking over your shoulder again and you do get sucked mm. in. And obviously like it could, it could still happen. You know, we could go on a really bad run. Same way we could go on a really good run. Like obviously anything can happen, but you do really feel, I think if you allow yourself to 
not get sucked into the sort of desperation fandom of it that it's really easy to. You do feel like that there are differences already. Um, we've got enough to win games. We will keep, we'll win some, we'll lose some, but we're far and away, we're going to win enough to not be in any danger. No, got no qualms about saying that at all. And so the thing is with this transition, whether it's playing out from the back or, you know, all of these, because to be quite frank, everything has changed, doesn't it? Like on and off the training ground from like, not to even reduce it too much, but even down to like language or whatever, you know, we've got a mostly Spanish training, we've got a big Spanish training staff and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Like let's not, let's not overlook how big some of the funda all of these little fundamental differences are that we don't even really get to see, right? We don't see that on the training ground, like, like the players and staff do. Um, it's changing every way, really. But the key point that I think we all need to remember is that as much as we feel that tendency to um, dra- over-dramatize things and worry about the, rel- you know, falling through the towards the trap door again, because we've <laughs> been there before, this is the, this is a perfect time to be doing what Villa are doing now, which yeah. is trying to set in a new system, trying to iron out the kinks as you go. There's going to be some setbacks, but there's going to be a hell of a lot of progress. And we can afford to do it because we're not in any real danger. Sure, if things went really well, we could be knocking on the door of Europe. I don't think it's really realistic. And it's fine by me. Like, let's, I'll take my, to be honest, right now, I'll take my 10th, 11th place finish. I'll take my continuing to implement Unai Ball. Got a summer transfer window coming up. And if we really want to start talking about knocking on knocking on the door at Europe, let's start talking about it this time next year. You know, Mm. patience is a difficult thing to come by as a football fan. I do realize that. And it's been under Gerard, it went back, didn't it, very quickly to feeling like that panic again. Oh, God, we're just going to plummet. Like every, we've gone backwards in every way, all that sort of stuff. We've got a sort of, it's chalk and cheese already, I think, three or four months on. Um, and that's the thing, Everton, again, it was, I agree, important result so that we don't extend the the, the losing run or even the winless run. Um, but every single game, I see things about us that just weren't there four or five months ago. And, on, and it's all you can ask for, really, isn't it? It's progress. Absolutely. I just feel so confident under Emery that I feel like with that trap door, I don't know, seal it shut with as many things as you can. And let's keep it that way. I don't know what you have to do. If you have to weld it shut, nail it shut, do a combination of both. Let's just get this done because there is that confidence there. And you are right, Tom. We are the definition of mid-table. 31 points in 11th. We're tied with Chelsea. They're ahead on goal differential by... uh, We're at minus eight. They're at minus two. So, of course, there's the factor in. And I, I can see why people are optimistic, of course. Like, realistically, we're only, what, five points off of Liverpool in seventh. But let's be realistic there's going to be more ups and downs for us and Liverpool will realistically probably hit a a good little bit of form it always seems like the top four get a little bit of a question mark every there's that one team every year that starts slowly and then they finish in the top four or something anyways and a few other teams kind of fall off so we'll have to wait and see um I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a notice because I'm going to go over to the three word reviews which Tom just absolutely loves so Frankie, just as a forewarning, I'm going to come to you to give me one. And of course, Tom as well. Tom hates me for this, but regardless of that, it is coming. So I have to give everyone a little bit of notice so I don't upset them too much. So of course, you can tweet us at 7500 to hold on Twitter post-match. Usually the tweet goes out, I don't know, five to 15 minutes after. Get involved. It's good fun. And uh, to be honest, I love going through these like right before I go to bed, The regardless win, lose, draw, whatever. Um, the night after or the night of following a match, really. Um, some of them are absolutely hilarious. So let's get over to uh, some of these and we'll get over to these guys with theirs shortly after. So let's go to um, GJHUTV saying Watkins is Hotkins. I don't know if that means his form or the other thing, but let's just say it's his form. <laughs> um, Russ Crook saying Super John McGuin- uh, McGinn, not McGuinn. Um, Michael Taylor says Buendia from Argentina. Um, Hubbard underscore AVFC underscore 30 says up the villa. Um, I do have a rule here, people. If you put four in, I'm not reading it out. I just noticed three of them in a row. Um, Abu Dhabi Villa saying three more wins um ricky austin bailey doesn't start john spooner more like it um witten and pinstow 
says John McBrilliant. I'll give him that. I almost got that confused with what he was saying, but regardless of that, I I did thrive on that one. Let's go to Carl O'Neill saying five and five. Uh, Simon Ray says, nice one, Ollie. Let's go down to the bottom and give some of these people a little bit of love as well. Um, Deadly Doug says, Mings is class. Paul Flynn, subs were awesome. And let's do two more before we throw Frankie under the bus first. Um, the Joker says, Ollie F and Watkins. And let's finish with uh, Kieran Corbett saying, we needed that. So Frankie, it's your turn. Take it away. Marry me. Unai, <laughs> I just that's, I am. That's fair. I am absolutely. I can't head think of a villain manager. Frankie. I'm, I'm head over heels. I'm writing him love poetry <laughs> every night. I'm telling you, it's just, uh, just the the man has an aura. He has an aura that I don't think I've seen in a villa manager for. You know, I've been supporting Villa since the early nineties, and uh, it's 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 been a long time since I felt this way about a villa manager. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the like honestly, I'm the same. I've been supporting Villa since a bit later than you, late late 90s, turn of the century. I'll go go one further. I've never I've never felt like this about manager. Closest was O'Neill, but even O'Neill, I felt like there were too many made odd odd tactical decisions, and you felt yeah. that sometimes he's a bit too hard. It's a bit too hard nosed and pig headed sometimes. You know, yes. I mean? you know, he's a very stubborn man, O'Neill. Whereas Emery, I, I cannot express the level of trust I have in this guy leading our club forward um feels weird but feels great so what's yours tom um i'll just cut three words out of that in the edit and do that (laughs) no mine is probably um i'll go for back in business because like i said i thought like three defeats in a row can understand why it's getting some people's tails up and people are getting like a bit antsy about it because nobody likes losing games there's never at any point during that run where i felt genuinely concerned about Villa taking a turn for the worse or anything like that. And honestly, I, I knew matter of time, hopefully sooner rather than later, that we'd win a game again. And to win it in the manner that we did win it, clean sheet away from home, great couple of goals. Because I'll say even that, I know Watkins' goal was a penalty, but even that I thought was a great goal because of the interplay between Wendy and McGinn to win the penalty. Um, and at the same time as it being a you know a clean sheet and a two-goal win, it's also nice to, again, win one of those games that, did feel like it could have gone either way for a while. Um, nice to see Villa come out on the right side of those. And I feel like that's actually happened a few times already under Emery. So uh, all power to us, really. Absolutely. Back to Frankie's point about Unai Emery. I, I came in very late, of course. Um, I mean, Tom can somewhat speak to this. The coverage in the Premier League has definitely massively improved over the last decade before it was hit and miss. So I came in kind of in between the McLeish uh lambert era uh just before the lambert era yeah if if you if you're attracted to villa at that point in time you love let's be honest that's how that's Um, how you know it's a sickness that is that's how you that's how you know you really love something that's what i'll say um but um yeah like this kind of relative success almost makes me feel uncomfortable because all i've known is heartache i do I, i do genuinely think that's part of the problem with some poor like some fans and the reaction to some things is that like it's it's really hard as a villa fan to trust that things are going well mm-hmm. you're always sort of digging aren't you to find the crack what's going wrong you know yeah um but i just i don't i think more and more fans will learn as the weeks and the months and hopefully to be honest the years pass under emery i think more and more fans will learn that under his management, I do think we can get away from that mentality because I think that there was that man- mentality in the team as well, like in the players, and it yeah. reawoke, didn't it? Under Gerard, it was awful. But already you can see that the players, I think, are, are over it. So let's yeah. just look, you know, let's let's look forward because there's plenty plenty to look forward to. I think absolutely. Um, I'll give my three word review. Um, I'll say Watkins Durand Love Fest. Um, if someone can gif or I don't know, Photoshop, I guess would be the better um, word to use. Um, the Step Brothers poster um, <laughs> with their faces on it uh, by the end of the season and send that over to me. Um, either I'll make that the profile for the uh, 7,500 whole um, Twitter page or at least the background of whatever. 
because I don't know. I, I want those two to just love each other and be like, the best bromance ever you can, and score loads of you goals. Can just so. wa- you can just wait a week until they both score next game. Yeah. I don't know. I it's it's this is getting too positive for me again. Like I know too much heartache and I'm <laughs> yeah. starting to get sweaty yeah. just thinking about success because it it scares me. The the playoff finals were the worst thing ever for me. That's all I'm ever gonna say. Mm-hmm. Um I think I've never rocked in um in the corner so often in my life just to be in the fetal position. But regardless of that, we don't have to relive those days because who wants to hear about that? Um, let's go over to the uh, player rating slash match balls. So Tom, I'll go to you first. Who would you give uh, this one to? Um, I think I, I'll go for McGinn. I was going to say Buendia um, because he did change the game, but I think that's the kind of game that without McGinn, putting in the level of performance that he did, um, we don't win that game. I thought he was, I just thought he was excellent. Covered every blade of grass. Um, back to the McGinn that we have known and loved, uh, you know, during spells over the last however many years it's been now. Um, when McGinn's on form like that, he is a player that I genuinely feel pretty lucky to have in our team as a, as a mid-table team, to be honest. So hopefully he can put that run of consistency together. Looks a looks a revitalized man. Absolutely. Frankie, how about you? Yeah, there's a couple of top performances. I think Mings was very impressive. Uh Ollie Watkins, of course, you know, running the line. And uh I think Ramsey was actually pretty good as well. And uh Buendia obviously is the impact player, but I have to go with Tom. I think John McGinn ultimately technically two assists, really, getting the penalty and then the ball to uh Buendia. And I think, you know, now that he's kind of not having to play this role that he was constantly under with uh, Steven Gerrard, where in centre midfield, he was kind of having to be this kind of ball playing defensive midfielder. And it's like, that's just not, it's not his strength. He's not, he's not kind of Perlo really on the ball. He's, he's a lot of his best um, attributes are off the ball. It's hustling and it's, uh, you know, it's kind of imposing himself physically. And then, when he gets the ball, pulling off a moment of quality, like you know he did against Tottenham away with a fantastic ball to Douglas Ruiz, who scored that goal, and then yesterday I think you saw that again, where he got the ball in the right position, closer to the goal, and he's able to get an assist. And you know he hasn't scored for a while, but I think that goal is probably coming soon. I think he's getting close enough to the area now that eventually, once he gets one, you might start to see a couple more start coming in. So I think um, he's been really impressive. He looks leaner and fitter. Since the World Cup break, I think he's working really well under Unai Emery. I think he's playing in the right role, right position. And I think the good times, hopefully, will continue to roll for John McGinn. So he's the man I'm giving my uh, my prestigious man of the match award to. He looks, wow. I think, as well as well as all the all the physical attributes he said. I think he looks mentally sharper as well. Like the the thing yeah. that the thing that strikes me is the the Buendia goal. How many times have we seen McGinn just shoot there from 20, 25 yards? He's driving forward with the with the ball on his left foot. And yeah. he, he, he'd fallen into a bad habit, I think, under Gerard of taking pot shots. Whereas this weekend, Everton got his head up, saw the pass to Buendia. You know, it's it's these little things. And I think they're all signs of um, a player who is back in his element. Yeah, completely. Absolutely. Um, well, you could maybe give the match ball to Aaron Ramsey if you watch Match of the Day. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's bad. I saw, I saw <laughs> that live and I was like, am I, am I seeing things? Like, sure, that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can play four middles, bro, and us at the same time and we don't even notice. Um, yeah. yeah, it is embarrassing, but it, it is funny. But in all seriousness, um, I'm going to give mine to Emmy Buendia. Um, first, doing that little... Um, uh, fake out nutmeg um, against, I think it was against Arsenal. Now I'm thinking about it for Coutinho's goal. Um, and then just the little twist and turn to score today. The man needs to be locked up because it's starting to get very, very uh, dirty out there on the pitch and he's just making it all happen. So long may that continue. I would go on and on, but we've already talked about Ambi Buendia enough, but the uh, last thing I do want to talk about guys before we wrap this one up, because I know we've been going on for um, a little bit of time to say the least, but this is the whole cast. And if I say we go for half an hour, it's usually double that. So I've kind of <laughs> given up on actually uh, putting time frames on these things to uh, abide by. But of course, Looking at the next little bit of a, a run in for Villa, you would have to say, for the most part, it's uh, 
fairly favorable. I think we've kind of got past that little bit of a, a sticky patch we're all concerned about. Of course, we have Palace next and West Ham, Bournemouth, a Chelsea, um, and Leicester in the next five. And Frankie, kind of looking at those teams in particular, some picking up the odd win here, a little bit of patchy form, particularly when you look at the likes of Palace, West Ham, and Bournemouth. Um, mm-hmm. Chelsea are just... I don't know, being peak Chelsea um, in terms of I've never seen so much money being spent and actually not working. Um, And then, of course, you look at Leicester, who have a few fantastic wins and then fall off a cliff again. So what do you kind of make of those next five games? And do you think there's kind of a I mean, again, I just want to be positive here. But if there's a few negatives you want to look at, feel free to bring it up. But I mean, there's some very, very winnable games in there, isn't there? Oh, completely. There's definitely winnable games. And, uh, you know, Chelsea with Todd Bowley, I wouldn't be surprised if they make a £100 million bid for Unai Emery from Villa uh, quite soon. I mean, they need they need something. Um, but, I, yeah, I, bizarrely, I'm kind of more confident with how we're playing away at the moment than, than we are at home. Uh, I, oddly, I'm more confident with how we might perform away at West Ham than at home against Palace. Um I think that at the moment, if you were to assess Unai Emery's time in charge so far, we've got majority of wins away from home. We've beaten Brighton, Everton, Tottenham, um, Southampton, and then we lost at City. So four wins in five. It's a fantastic record. Um, and I just think that when we're able to just kind of sit and hit teams on the counter, that's currently suiting us a bit better than when we're having to take the initiative and that seemingly is when we're kind of conceding goals because you think of the Liverpool game at home when we seem to give away a million chances. Um, and uh, I think the first half against Wolves, first half against Leeds at home again, we looked a bit shaky when we're sort of that team who has to be on the front foot. So against Palace, I could I could see a scenario where it'd be a kind of a bit villa where we've just had a really good win. All our hopes are up and then we play Palace and we, we kind of take the initiative, we get a goal, but then... We leave a we we leave a gap open and Wilfred Zaha just breaks through one on one. It's one all, two, two, three. But that said, I mean Palace aren't in very good form and they haven't been scoring very many goals recently. And I think that if we are to get our home form sorted, we have to get a you know, we have to get a good win. And I think Crystal Palace, given their current form, probably is a good place for that to start. Um after that, you know, then it's our away game, uh, you know, West Ham and, you know, Chelsea. Certainly, I think there's definitely quite a few points we can pick up in the next few fixtures. And I think for me, what I really want to see is that Villa end up in the top half this season. You know, I, I'm not saying Europe. I mean, we're only, what, four points off Brighton, who I think are now seventh, eighth. Um, but they have a couple of games in hand. Um Europe, I think, is probably a bit beyond us this season. You never know. Might go on a really good run. But we haven't been in the top half of the Premier League for a very long time now, over a decade. And the top half of the Premier League is where we used to live at one time. Um, and we, we, you know, we've been renting in the bottom half and the championship since 2010-11. So um, I think this season, if we could make it into top half, that's a brilliant start for Unai Emery. And it's something to absolutely build on for next season. So that's kind of what I want to see. I'm expecting us to concede some silly goals soon. Just playing out from the back, I think that's going to happen. I think we have to be patient with that as we get used to it. Um, but certainly, I would really like us to see... I think I'm confident with how we're going to play away from home for the rest of the season. I think we've shown we just can do it. It's at home at the moment that I kind of want to see us just get a get a good solid 2-0 or a 3-0, a 3-1. And I think Crystal Palace is probably the place to start that, given their form. Um, so that's... Yeah, I'm, I'm confident with how we're going, going to be going forward. But it's just, can we show a bit more consistency at home in the next for the rest of the season that's what i want to see in the next few games absolutely and the one thing i did want to pick at maybe it's a little bit more of a a humor moment for me but i just want to be in the top half so when they do kind of like recap shows and they show the table i want to be in the first transition slide that's where the cool (laughs) kids are like that's that's where we want to be that's that's progress for me that's that's saying to other teams well you know what you're down there we don't have to worry about you because we're up here with with the with the the top four cool people that they think they are. But um, regardless of that, Tom is uh, to pretend we're putting on our our uh, nice kind of 
presenter jackets and being all serious here for a moment are the next five games given that little run in is it a bit of a season defining one or do you think it's just five games let's see what happens I'm more inclined to just say it's five games and see what happens, to be honest. Like, obviously, it could be season-defining. Like, if we go now, what Palace, West Ham, Bournemouth, Chelsea, Leicester, Forest, even beyond that, like Newcastle, Brentford, Fulham, United. Like, these are teams, there's a couple in there that you'd fear playing, obviously, like Newcastle and Man United. And Chelsea away is not going to be easy, even if they're as useless in a month as they are now. Um, But I just don't... It's nice to look ahead at a long stretch, not even the next five, but beyond that, like a long stretch of Villa fixtures and just think, I'm not really worried about what happens here, to be honest. I'm more sort of excited to see what we can do, what return we can get. Like, for example, I think if I'm making a call now, I think Villa, I think we'll go unbeaten for our next three. I think Palace at home, I I think we'll beat Palace at home and I think we'll, genuinely, it's not very often I think this, I don't... I don't really like playing Palace, but I've got a nasty feeling I say that about every team when I'm talking, when I'm talking about Villa. Um, but I, I really do, to Frankie's point, I think we'll use the Palace game as a real springboard. They're not in very good form. I don't, they've always got a threat with Zaha and Elise and Eze, you know, tight, very tidy players. Um, but I just have no fear at all, really, uh, for, with, with Villa at the moment. Um I agree. We're better. We're very set up away from home. It'd be nice to finally. It'd be nice to get a win at the West Ham's new bowl of a stadium, wouldn't it? Um, feel like we've had a couple of not particularly great results there in last in recent years. Um, yeah, I'm feeling good. I genuinely think that maybe by the time we get to Easter, start of April, that kind of time, um, I think we can. We we have the potential to be cemented as a top half team um, by that point. And that honestly is my, for for a lot of fans qualifying for Europe, obviously it's a bit of like a holy grail this year, which I get. Kind of inclined to agree agree with Frankie really that my 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 holy grail for this year really is, let's get about ninth. If we can sit eighth, even eighth ninth, um, would represent the kind of progress that apart from the promotion season when we went on that you know, ten game run or whatever it was and came up obviously through the playoffs. Apart from that. Us finishing about ninth or something this season would recommend would represent the biggest step we've taken, I think, since promotion. Um, I know we finished eleventh with Dean when we still had Grealish, but I do think that's got a bit of an asterisk to it because that was the COVID behind closed doors season, which I do think had a big effect on on, on most teams really. Um, so if we can just cement top half, there's nobody I look through that fixture list who I really fear playing. We've got through the really rough patch with Arsenal and City now. Shame about the Leicester result as well, but um, yeah, I'm feeling good about feeling good about Villa's chances, really. Um, so let's see what happens. Um, if if we get three wins, then if we win the next three, and we somehow beat West Ham, and Danny Ings doesn't score, I will give you beer money. We'll work out the details because just gonna write just gonna write that down. Um, <laughs> you, you might as well. I, I'm not not trying to be. Um, I'm confident about it, but it just feels like the stars were aligned where Zaha doesn't dive in the box and somehow get a penalty in the last minute or Henry Lansbury somehow signs on a day contract and somehow gets a, a goal ruled out again. I don't know. There's just, I, I've been <laughs> scarred too many times by some of these teams. So many scars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but regardless of that, I'm I'm looking forward to our patchy form uh, going into the last three, um, somehow beating Tottenham because they've packed it in Liverpool doing the same and then drawing against Brighton on the final day uh, where we then go into next season with even more optimism than we did last <laughs> summer. Cause um, that is Villa, isn't it? At the end of the day. It is, yeah. And, you know, talking about scars, we don't want to qualify for Europe anyway, because even if we qualified for Europe, we'd only draw rapid Vienna, wouldn't we, and lose again. So, <laughs> I, went, uh, I went to both scars of those on games. Scars, man. Yeah, I went so to both I, those uh, games. Of Villa, but, oh. Do you remember, Do you remember they had the, in the second one, they had the banner that said, yeah. like, your nightmare returns or something, and everyone was like, oh, get over yourselves, and then we yeah. lost again. <laughs> I was like, what a bunch of losers. And then... Yeah. Okay. See, just honestly, you don't you oh. don't have to you don't have to scratch at the surface very hard to find some very deep rooted scars as Villa fans. No. But, um so let, let's see how let's just see how it goes for the rest of the uh, the rest of the season. Ah, we're gonna go undefeated. We're gonna finish fifth and Newcastle are gonna plummet to tenth or something. That's that's what's gonna oh. happen. We'll reverse it. As um, Kevin Keegan said, I would love it if that happened. I would yeah. love it. 
Well, and you can't win anything with kids anyways. Apparently that wasn't a thing too. So at the end of the day, what do we all know? So um, you know what? We'll, we'll leave it there. We've definitely went for more than long enough, but Frankie, first and foremost, thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. We'll have to make sure um, you jump on more regularly than once a year or so. But if uh, fellow Villa fans want to come find you and your work, where can they uh, find you? No, thanks very much for having me on. I absolutely love chatting to you guys. I can feel I feel like I could chat for forever. Um, you know, uh, the three Lord of the Rings movies back to back that whole time. We could just be talking <laughs> Villa uh, and longer. Um, but yeah, uh, if you want to hear our podcast, we're all Villa No Filler. Uh, on Twitter, we're Villa No Filler. We're on Facebook. We're on, we have a YouTube channel as well where we do lots of interviews with different journalists about different players that are linked to and kind of you know looking ahead to games we're going to play um and then we have a you know regular podcast that we put out every week as well so that's all villa no filler please come check us out and uh, once again thank you very much for having me on well it's good chatting to you and uh, me and tom are probably the worst combination because we both don't shut up so we love talking forever and we could probably do the three Lord of the Rings, uh, all the Hobbits. You could probably <laughs> throw in all the bonus discs with all the behind the scenes features and we'd still probably be here talking about, I don't know, um, Charles and Zogby and the impact that we thought he would make and never did. <laughs> That's at some point we'd probably get to. But regardless of that, of course, you can find Tom on Twitter as well at TD Nightingale. You can find me, Colpetum, on Twitter too at Talk Aston Villa. Tweet the team at 7500 Holt. Email the podcast, Holtcast at gmail.com and of course check out the website triple w dot 7500holt.com i said it all without notes i'm very proud of that so i think this is the best way to leave this intro we should hopefully be back for another uh pre pre pre-match preview that makes sense another preview prior to uh palace but regardless of that and don't forget up the villa This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.